This is the GBA Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion series, brought to you by the GBA Podcast. Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DEI, is a term often used in the workplace, but its meaning is sometimes not well understood. Within each episode of this series, we hope to shed light and awareness on the DEI landscape in our industry. We'll discuss the pipeline to diversity and inclusion in the geo professions, identify key allies in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And discuss how unconscious bias can contribute to inequity in STEM education and career development. GBA is committed to increasing diversity and promoting inclusion and equity in the geoprofessional industry. We hope you can share these episodes within your organization. Please join us as we explore these topics in a four-part series on DEI. Welcome to the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast series for the GBA podcast. My name is Veronica DeFreitas. I'm a Geotechnical Department Manager, Universal Engineering Sciences in Tampa, Florida, the Chair of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee for GBA, and a member of the Emergent Leaders class. Today, we'll be discussing how other professions tackle diversity, equity, and inclusion within their organizations, and the importance of understanding the need of your workforce in relation to diversity, equity, and inclusion. We'll be speaking with Christina Bartolome, a Senior Program Manager at the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Office for the Food and Drug Administration. Christina is an accomplished strategist, speaker, and facilitator with over a decade of experience in affirmative employment, equal employment opportunity, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Christina is also my lifelong friend from Puerto Rico, and I'm so happy to have her on the podcast. Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Veronica, for inviting me. I'm really, really happy to be here. Well, I really appreciate you joining us, especially with all your diverse background and experience. I think you offer a really unique perspective to the podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, that sounded really, really great. And I'm like, who's that? Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Christina, as an expert in the diversity, equity, and inclusion field, you know, you know that the, these definitions are constantly changing. The acronyms are always changing. This is an ever-evolving space, which sometimes can cause a little bit of confusion. You know, which are the right acronyms, the right descriptors, the right orders. To me, it kind of seems natural because it's so tied to human nature and we're constantly evolving and changing. But in your opinion, what are the key acronyms and definitions for diversity, equity, inclusion? And how do you see these acronyms and definitions changing over time? Um, that's a really good question. And, you know, at least in the federal landscape, which is where I've been, you know, working for you know over a decade now the terms have have evolved from you know just equal employment opportunity to diversity and inclusion and now we're going with diversity equity and inclusion and now there's you know if you mentioned justice but there's also a different term coming up right now which is accessibility diversity equity inclusion and accessibility and in fact, just today, uh, we received notice that the Biden administration sent out a new executive order on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, which expands on this even more, right? And I mentioned that because obviously, uh, federal government employees, you know, we, our boss is the president. So uh, his executive orders have a lot of uh, effect on the work that we do. Uh, but before I start talking, I really have to say something before I forget. Everything that I say in this podcast is me, Christina, as a civilian speaking, not as a representative of the federal government or FDA. But to, to get to your question, so diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. Um, there's generally the term diversity is, you know, it's um, it, it takes many forms, right? You got uh, diversity of age, national origin, sexual orientation, religion, race, education, even things that we don't really think about, right? Over the surface that are not just your sex or your race, et cetera, but, you know, the language that you use, your socioeconomic status, your gender identity, your communication style, all of those things are part of diversity, right? So diversity is what makes us all different. Right. Yeah, it's exactly, exactly that. That's the perfect way to say it. When we talk about inclusion, well, that's when we put diversity into action, right? And we have policies, practices, procedures, and within the workplace environment. And I'm, again, I'm talking about diversity, equity, inclusion as it relates to the workplace, right? Uh, where you create an, uh, an environment of 
respect and involvement of all of the individuals in different cultures, right? And that folks feel welcome, right? And that they can speak up and they can engage in the workforce. Uh, and then equity is, again, a term that is coming up, that is newer in the sphere of diversity and inclusion. And it's basically fair access to information and resources for everyone. And I'm, it, I'm sure we'll get to talk a little bit more about that, but that's the gist of it. And all of these things together create a workplace culture where employees are engaged and they want to come to work and they want to do the work and they want to uh, not just themselves thrive in the work that, that they do, but that the organization, their company or whatever, that it thrives as well. Now that, that's all really excellent. So it, in generally, all these three things kind of have to work together in order for them to actually exist. Absolutely. So one follow-up question. Another word that I seeing or or have heard other people use interchangeably is equality versus equity. There's always kind of or there is a little bit of a confusion between which is the right definition or the right term to use in the space. Can you speak a little bit about that and what makes them different? That's that's a really interesting question because equality has been like a really huge part of my career. And like I said earlier, equity has gathered more and more steam in the last few years. Equity is used more often than equality because it's like, again, like I said, it's very distinct, you know, workplace equality. We're talking about everyone, every single one of your employees and your workforce. Uh, they have access to the same opportunities. Right. Um, and what we're talking about here is, you know, whether it's career development or career advancement, promotions, monetary uh, stuff, time off awards, all of these things, all of your employees, they're working on their, the same policies, practices, procedures, guidelines, right? That is equality. It's a level playing field for everyone, right? When we talk about here is, you know, the age old, I think it's adage, is that how we say age old adage that if you work hard, you will succeed. If you work hard, you play hard, you will uh, achieve anything, which is simply not the case for everyone. Because it, it doesn't take into account how everybody's different. Correct. And how you grew up, the education that you had, the access to resources that you had. And again, because, and why is this? Why is it so hard? Because there is no equity. There's no equity, you know, which is again, fair access to resources, to information, right? And I think the key here is resources because we have to ensure that there are, you know, no unfair, again, thinking about workplace scenarios, that there are no unfair biases that are stacked up against any one group or groups of people, right? That there are any stereotypes or barriers that are preventing them from enjoying the full benefits of being in the workplace, uh, of those same workplace policies, practices, and procedures that are available to all. It has to be fair. And what does that look like? Oh, it depends on the workplace. But, you know, one of the things that I did in a, in a former job that I had is I, I helped the development of this uh, first-generation professionals initiative. And first-generation professionals are people from any age, background, race, culture. But one, the one key thing is socioeconomic status. They grew up, like I did, without a lot of resources. And so they're coming to the workplace without those, you know, without any peers, right? With any, without any peer support because they didn't have parents or grandparents that coached them on how to be professional, how to write a resume, how to um, talk in a, in a meeting, right? How do, you, how do you get ahead, right? So those are the things that we talk about when we talk about equity, making sure that those folks also have fair access to the same opportunities as everybody else. So I guess a difficult question is how do you get there? Well, we get there by doing what you're doing right now, starting the conversation, right? I think that, that you have to, you have to have the, these difficult conversations um, in order to make a change. And listening to you speaking about the difference between equity and equality, something that kind of kept ringing in my head is, well, really have to understand your employees and understand what 
you know, everybody else needs. And a common topic that I've seen kind of entering this space and even before we see people formulating their own diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives is really trying to understand, you know, who your audience is and who your workforce is, because if not, then how are you really going to set that bar for equity if we don't really know where everybody's starting point is? So, you know, you're in a massive, you know, federal agency and you're working in this office. So how do you in your employment, and this is only speaking with Christina's opinions, right? But, you know, what advice do you have for us starting this journey? And how do you get a good grasp and understanding of your own workforce so you can really kind of start providing that equity and quality differences? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And like, you know, when you work for the federal government, a lot of these agencies are pretty, pretty massive, right? So like the FDA has, you know, 17,000 employees, my former um, um, agency, you know, there were, you know, 47,000 employees or some that have 100,000, 200,000, right? And so it looks there are very different avenues on how to engage with your workforce, depending on your workplace culture, one, and your organization's size. So if you have 100 employees, it might be a little bit easier than an organization with 5,000, 10,000, and so on. And this is, again, a maybe because it really depends on your company culture. Because if you have a really toxic workplace culture with 100 employees, it's going to be really hard to engage with them, right? Because you're going to have to really tackle that. Uh, and when you have a company organization with 10,000 employees, but people are, uh, you have exceptional work culture, then it'll be a little bit easier to engage. So I think it'll be harder actually with a smaller work culture or workforce? It really just, honestly, it really just depends on the workplace culture, how it is really. It really is. Uh, And there's one of those things that one of my old bosses used to say, there's tyranny in numbers. (laughs) Uh, But I really, so again, there, there are many ways. Uh, on how to engage, you can do town halls, focus groups, climate assess- climate assessments, or surveys, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, or social gatherings, and you know there are even organizations, particularly smaller ones, that are really high up in the DEI field and really support that, where they have one-on-ones with the leader, right? But these are companies, you know, with you know b- between 50 to 200 employees, and every month they have something like that. Sometimes you really have to accept the realities of your workforce and it is important for anonymity for some employees to speak up. And how do you ensure anonymity through surveys, right? Which you mentioned that you do surveys, you, you allow your employees to freely speak their minds with a specific set of questions that allow you to kind of get a better understanding of how you're doing on many different areas, right? on all of the things that we mentioned already, career development, professional development, all of those things, but also how are you doing as a leader, right? Do employees uh, feel um, that supported by their supervisors, right? Or their managers, right? Do employees feel supported by culture itself, meaning their peers, their, their, their fellow employees, their colleagues, right? Uh, do they feel like they have all the right tools to perform, right? All of those things can feed into this uh, climate assessment survey and give you a better understanding of where you are so that you know where you want to, um, what do you want to do to get to where you want to be? So I guess your climate assessment surveys is kind of really assessing the climate of your workforce and seeing where everybody's starting at. So would you call that kind of like a baseline? Yeah, like a baseline survey where you're kind of seeing where, I guess the way that I'm thinking of, you do a survey, you see where your baseline is, where everybody is starting at, and then maybe start to evaluate what is it that that particular employee or employee group groups of employees absolutely absolutely and like data is amazing and like seeing that right in front of you looking at you know for example people from a specific group feel like they're not being supported and like if the number is really low or really high you know that, that gives you a clear view into what you need to focus on, right? And as an organization, when you do these surveys, you might get results that are a little bit overwhelming and you're, you are scrambling to see, well, what am I going to do with all of this information? Because there are so many things that, there are many opportunities for improvement, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I never see this as something that is completely negative, right? It's just an opportunity to improve, right, on your work, workplace culture. Then the one thing that that is recommended is, you know, take the top three uh, areas that you want to focus this year, right? or these first two years and see where you're at every year. We survey your workforce, right? And see whether your practices, your activities, your guidance, your whatever it is that you do are actually having an effect. And if not, re-engage with the workforce. Do focus groups with those specific groups of individuals that are not having the same experience as some other employees. So, what are some questions that you usually include in your surveys or what, you know, what do you think are the most important questions that, you know, anybody starting this diversity and inclusion journey should have in their surveys? Do you know what? I actually recommend the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey. It's a public-facing document, and it is a, a climate assessment survey that is government-wide. Every agency can add different questions that are tailored to their own individual uh, organization. So NASA would have something completely different than you know, Department of Labor or Department of Treasury, right? But it has a hundred and something questions. It's a lot of questions. I don't recommend all surveys to be this long, but this is a massive survey that goes out every year and they do a massive campaign around it. But generally it is divided into uh, specific sections and I'm going to forget some, but it's one is the inclusion quotient, which is the new IQ, which basically, um, um, it's, it's about inclusion. How, in, how inclusive is your workplace, right? There's another one is leaders lead, right? Very self-explanatory, right? Are leaders leading their workforce appropriately, right? And are they engaging with their workforce, right? There's another one, um, on employee engagement, speaking of, right? That tackles questions related to that. And there's other two that I'm forgetting right now, but some of the questions are like, um, uh, do you feel supported by your immediate supervisor, right? And then I believe it's like, um, there's a specific set of answers that they give you. Like maybe a scale of answers. Right, right. Do you feel like you're giving the right tools and resources to succeed? Uh, and you answer that question. So those, they're very, very, very specific questions. Um, and I really recommend that you look into it. It's 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 public facing and has fantastic questions. And some of the bigger companies too. So that's a great resource. Thanks for for sharing that. One follow, I mean, a couple follow up questions. I mean, when I hear you talking about surveys, especially talking to such a massive workforce, one thing that kind of kind of comes to mind is just how difficult it actually is to kind of comb through that data. And a couple of kind of maybe things that I've heard against surveys is that, I mean, what do you do with employees that are using that survey to just air out unrelated grievances that they have for their employer? Maybe they're out to get their supervisor and they're just kind of being a little bit too, you know, using that survey to just kind of get into that. How do you come through data that might not be very useful or is all data useful? That's that's a really, really good question. Um, when it comes to survey, data is really, really complicated because it, it's only as good as, you know, what however, however many responses you get and the quality of those responses. But to to answer your first question about, you know, you have a disgruntled employee who might want to get back at their supervisor, you know. That's that's a difficult thing, and that's something that um, unfortunately happens happens more often than not. But you know, usually you know who those bad apples are, right? And surveys are meant to you know give a general understanding of the entire workforce, right? So even if you have that one person or those two individuals that might you know try to to affect the data in any way, it shouldn't if you do it right, right? You can see the data and see where it's trending and kind of see these are maybe spikes in data that and, are not and like, really. And fear of the results is natural. You know, some leaders, some leaders are afraid of the results because they know that their work culture is terrible. And some other leaders are afraid of the results because they're like, oh, I, I don't know what I don't know. And what if things are worse than 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 what I think? And which might be the case, right? But, you know, sometimes it's really surprising. The, the, the leaders that are really engaged with the workforce and have kind of a general understanding of where they are, they might be surprised to see that their survey, survey reveals that actually 
they're doing pretty well and there's just a few areas of opportunity where they need to do better you know yeah i mean that's gonna the, again understanding your your employees and kind of really seeing where their needs are but it, it can be difficult to kind of look yourself in the mirror and actually see where you're actually standing yeah yeah it is it is uh but you gotta do it you gotta do it because yeah, you can't have a good workplace culture with low attrition because you, if you want to keep your talented group of individuals, employees, uh, individual employees, you gotta make sure that they are thriving in the workplace. And in order to do that, you have to, you know, communicate. I think communication is key, you know. And uh, we keep throwing the word engaging, engaging it, but you have to, you have to connect with them. Uh, because an employee that is disengaged or disconnected from you and the organization who doesn't understand what they're trying, what they're doing in the workplace, they're going to leave you. And these are, you have, might potentially have superstars that are going to abandon you just because you didn't put just a little bit of effort into ensuring that, that they, that they, you know, that they had all the opportunities available to them. Right. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I think we we share this offline, but, you know, our industry is one of those industries that have suffered from groups, mostly of women, maybe other unrepresented minorities that have left the workforce after a certain number of times that there has been uh, research and articles that have come out with either survey response or actual research from um, data that shows in our industry, at least in engineering, that from around seven or eight years of experience, that's when we started seeing a drop of women leaving the industry. So we have a, a study that shows that one in 10 men will leave the industry around 10 years compared to one in four women um, in engineering. So that that's a big start difference from one in 10 to one. There are so many other women like you out there that are superstars, incredible engineers, ready, willing, able to just do the best that they can do to bring any organization, any company, any whatever, um, to, to thrive. And yet they are not given the opportunity to do so. Right. And that is a major, major, major loss. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't know how how much work you've done to see where women or or the groups of people leave in certain industries and, and federal agencies, but at least um, kind of to tie into the, the women leaving the workforce, you know, word of mouth might be like, oh, they're leaving because around seven and eight years, that's when they start having children. They want to become, you know, stay at home moms, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe work is too tough. But in reality, we actually seen a lot of studies that shows that women that leave engineering industries go to maybe non-STEM industries and becomes leaders in their own right. So they're not leaving engineering just to stay home with the kids. They're leaving engineering because they're leaving the culture. You know, we don't, I, I don't see surveys being done very extensively, uh, at least not, not in my own experience, but Maybe this is really a learning experience, or at least that data can be used to understand that there are issues or there's a reason why women are leaving. Have you seen something like that in similar um, industry or similar agencies? Oh, it's all over the place. It's all over the place, unfortunately, but particularly in the STEM fields. It's just it is it is unfortunate and it, it's chronic and it has to stop because, you know, there are I, I, I don't I don't have the percentages at the top of my, my mind, but maybe you pro you probably do. But the percentage of females graduating from STEM fields is increasing, right? And not just that, they are thriving. They are top of like top of the class, you know? And yet there is a major gap between that and and the professional their their professional development and experiences, which you just talked about. Yeah, it's a leaky pipeline. Oh, yeah, the, a very leaky pipeline. And we're talking about here, and it's so funny because I was just developing a presentation on biases, 
and there's this one about avail availability bias, which I think you touched upon, which is both basically on when folks rely on their first thoughts and first instinct rather than actually searching for more evidence. And the example here is, you know, that, you know, we don't hire women in engineering because there simply aren't any women in engineering, right? And that is a misconception, right? And it is absolutely wrong. Uh, and folks need to really look for, for you have to, and they also think like, oh, there's a shortage of talented women. Absolutely not. You just got to look a little bit harder for them because you're just used to the pipeline that you understand versus expanding it, right? Um, but yeah, no, it, it is it is chronic and it's it's um, not just an engineer. Yeah, no, we, we've definitely seen that as kind of all across the board when it comes to STEM. So um, yeah, hopefully things will start changing in the future. I think they are because we're having this we're having this talk. conversation and my goodness, yeah, we're well, and then, and people are walking the talk too. I think that particularly after this last year, um, I think a lot of people have woken up. No, I, I, I definitely agree that I think people are, are starting to make a change and starting to see things that are a little bit different. What other feedback can you give us? You know, what other tips or I guess um, advice can you give us when it comes to surveys and kind of getting roadblocks? Um, another thing that kind of comes to mind is maybe employees that are not engaged or don't want to answer surveys. Um, if we have a small organization, let's say that organization is a, a few thousand employees, maybe that's not small, but much smaller than a federal agency and, and your standards. Um, how do we actually get employees to actually answer those surveys when we don't have a huge amount of people? Communication is key. And I know that's a very boring answer, but communication is key. You know, like you have to really constantly communicate to your workforce through different avenues about the who, what, when, where, why you're doing this, why it matters, what the path forward is. And um, why their voice absolutely matters. And, you know, something like, you know, your survey responses, they will be instrumental in the development of our new strategic plan, for example, uh, or the results of the, sur the survey will actually inform the actions that we take over the next year, right? So pretty much like communicating with your employees that their responses are going to make a difference and they're going to make an impact. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's literally it. And like also, you know, not just saying that you're going to do it, but actually doing them because a lot of people hear this all the time and then nothing is done. And so that's where you get them, you know, all of these um, people who doubt you and doubt your, your, your intentions. Uh, but uh, some, uh, some of the best organizations that I've seen, how they deal with climate assessment surveys or surveys overall is they actually develop mechanisms uh, where not only do they survey the workforce annually, they also uh, track improvement and it is public facing, I mean, workforce facing. So they actually have websites dedicated to, you know, this is how the organization looked in 2015. This is how it looks in 2016. This is where we improved. This is where we did a little bit, you know, there is opportunity for, for improvement. Uh, and people have access to all of that information. So communication is key and also access uh, to that information. Obviously, you know, when you have a small workforce, I wouldn't recommend, and this is, you know, this is research-based, I wouldn't recommend sharing any data for any groups that are, you know, that have less than 10 respondents or maybe less than 15 respondents because it's very difficult for you to ensure anonymity if you do that particularly when you have a small group of minorities in your case you know in an engineering field a small group of women a small group of women who might be african-american or hispanic or whatever it's like if you're you the know. only woman then you're definitely that person and if you're the only woman right so maybe in that case a survey uh it's it's hard it's hard because yeah we can have a full conversation about surveys that last three hours actually <laughs> yeah but i think I, I i do think that i think i already said this like i have an old boss who said feedback is a gift and yes it is a gift whatever feedback it is it is a gift so you gotta do it yeah no that, that's a great saying i love that 
feedback is definitely a gap, especially when you're trying to understand your your employees better. Um, and I'm sure you've gotten a lot of negative feedback, especially surveying so many people. Um, how do you deal with negative feedback? I mean, how do you take it? I'm sure it's it it, it can be at, at some point. You know, you don't want to deal with it anymore. All the time, all the time. I have had plenty. I'm gonna be really honest uh, with you and listeners. You know, I have had plenty of days where I question why I do what I do, why the heck I am in this field, because it is really hard to work in this field. Um, you know, all of your good acts really do invite criticism from all sides. You know, from the naysayers and the the very well intentioned who want you to do more, better, bigger, do more, act more, etc. So it is hard. And again, I, there are days where I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. But you know, I was listening very recently to um, a book, uh, mo the most recent book by President Obama, and he was talking about, you know, that whenever he made a policy decision that, that was really well intentioned, even the people that supported him really kind of uh, pushed back, right? And to, you know, criticize him for not doing more or, you know, oh, you're bending over backwards for this other group of people. How dare you? You're doing too much. Yeah. And so in that way, he put things into perspective for me. Um, and so again, you know, be because even the, 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 the biggest, hardest job in the world, you still deal with the same stuff. Right. And so, you know, you gotta, and maybe we can deal with it too. Yeah, we can deal with it too. And again, going back to what my boss says, feedback is a gift, good, bad, and everything in between, because you learn uh, as an individual, right, about, you know, what you did and how it was perceived and the impact that it had, because intent and impact are two very different things. Um, you improve uh, and you just do better. And in a way you can also engage with the naysayers and maybe get them to evolve on their thinking. And that's a big maybe, because sometimes they're really big naysayers that you do not want to engage with. And you just look the other side and let them say whatever they want to say. Um, but anyway, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, I deal with all of that stuff all the time. You just got to keep your head high and know that what you're doing is good and um it, that that i mean no it's not, i mean it, it puts things in perspective because um i mean everybody's i think we're all at some point or another you're going to get some negative feedback um but i, I guess it's important just to kind of move forward move on maybe engage sometimes maybe not engage but it sounds to me like it, it does require a good amount of experience and, and knowledge to actually know what how to use that mm -hmm. feedback Yes, I would say speak to the experts and, um, um, you know, listen, listen to the experts and, you know, whenever you do, do it. And I do encourage any organization to do it. I think it's really, really important. Not just do it once. From, from the moment you started, you keep doing that. Uh, you know, if you're going to serve your workforce one year, you got to do it the next to know how you're doing, how you're doing. And then the next and then the next. And you can't stop. Yeah, but definitely engage with experts because surveys can be difficult. Yeah, no, that's something also that, that we I spoke about with some of my committee uh, members is, is to a trying an expert or, or getting a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant or an expert uh, because, I mean, as, as more we get more into this field, I mean, we're engineers and scientists. We're not really diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, professionals. And this is a, this can get really complicated. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. But let me tell you something like the work that you're doing, you're doing something right and you're doing something good and not just for yourself, but whoever it is that is coming along, uh, you know, after you. So, you know, don't be dissuaded. It is really hard. And, you know, if you do start developing a survey or whatever it is to engage with your workforce, there are going to be people that are going to be there that they are going to push back for legitimate reasons and for not so legit legitimate reasons, right? Just got to take it in, breathe, and do as best as you can and keep on keeping on, honestly. Because again, the work that you're doing is incredibly important, not just for yourselves, but um, for whoever comes after you. 
the work that you're doing as well is, is incredibly important. One thing that I want to tie into that, that you keep mentioning is employee engagement. And the other question that I asked you about, like, how do you actually get employees to, to actually respond? So how do you measure employee engagement? And, you know, what's really the difference? You know, people talked about employee satisfaction. And you might send like a satisfaction report and it's like, yes, I'm satisfied. But what does really, you know, employee engagement look like? How you measure that? And maybe how does that compare to employee satisfaction? Are they different? So I'll just tell you, um, I'm gonna, I stole this. I did not come up with this. It was something that I, um, I heard in a training a couple of years back. I forget which one it was, but it was so good. Um, so whoever said this, it's it's yours. It does not belong to me. But I thought it was great. And they said it much better than I ever could. But um, think about um, satisfaction, right? As, you know, um, an employee can be satisfied with their pay. An employee can be satisfied with, you know, their work hours. They come in at nine, they leave at five, right? They have their weekends, right? They have a good pay. They're satisfied with all of those things, right? So think of satisfaction. Um, think of it this way. Your partner from a long, long, long years comes to you and brings you a ring. Again, I did not come up with this, but they give you a ring and they're like, Veronica, uh, we've been together for five years and I'm very satisfied with this relationship. Um, I think we make each other happy, right? We go out on weekends sometimes and I have, I have, I have a good time. I'm really satisfied. Um, and think about engagement as this person comes to you, your partner, five years comes to you. And they give you an engagement. Ring. Oh, that sounds way different. I, I, I'll take the engagement ring, please. Yeah, Veronica, I am excited about the the future that I have uh, that that we'll will um, uh, will have together. I am excited about growing old with you and seeing all these great things that we're gonna do together. Um, I cannot wait uh, for to you know to spend the rest of my life with you. Right? Think about those differences between satisfaction and engagement. Where you have an employee who is satisfied again with their pay and their weekends off and etc., versus an employee who's not just satisfied but also is so excited to come to work, do the work fulfill the mission, right? And the vision of your organization. And not just that, advocate for you and say, wow, Veronica, or wow, X organization, you are incredible. I want everybody to know this and I want everybody to come and work for you, right? Oh, so, so much better for your business to have somebody who actually is going to come in and promote and, and probably bring more people right. in. Yeah. That is engagement. That is someone who's excited to come to work and wants to do the thing versus somebody who just drapes in, clocks in, clocks out, leaves, probably leaves three years on. And then you have a lot of attrition, you know, it's, it's not good, you know? So, so how do you measure that? How do you measure somebody who's engaged versus somebody who's just satisfied? Yeah, no, well, you know, you sometimes you just see it. <laughs> it's it's as simple as that. You just see it. But you measure it again. We're going back to to one of those first few uh, conversations that we had, which is it, through different things. You when you were talking about surveys before, but you know, you can have town hall town halls with your employees where they can tell you about these things. You can have social gatherings with your employees to ensure that they're connected, right? And they have opportunities to engage, right? With each other, to connect with each other, uh, all of those things. Uh, but sometimes it's just very easy to see that your employee or your employees as a whole are disengaged. Why? Because nobody's volunteering to do anything. Nobody's putting in the extra effort. If you're a, a company that is trying to, you know, raise some revenue, like your bottom line, you're in the red all the time, right? And like, there was this recent research, uh, not recent, actually, is it's something very uh, similar happened. I think it was a Campbell, Campbell Soup Company 
that they were in the red all the time. And then they brought in a new CEO, right, who just completely transformed the workplace. Uh, and then suddenly, and, and I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of this, but I really recommend people read into it transformed the workplace in such a way that employees, again, they were so engaged and so ready, willing and able to serve the company that the red turns into green. Uh, and Campbell's, I think, I don't know, hopefully they're still thriving to this day, but before they weren't, right? And, you know, I don't know what it looks like, you know, in, in you know, in the engineering field, uh, I know what it can look like in the federal government and how it can look like in the nonprofit sector where you're not meeting your vision and your mission. You're not meeting it. And that's a problem. And can it tie back to employee engagement? Right, exactly. And so uh, one of the things uh, that I say is like your employees are the, are the gears that keep your company moving forward, right? And in order for, for your company to just actually function well, and uh, think of it as a car, right? What do you do, you know, when you have a car, you got to maintain it, you got to bring it to the shop, you got to make sure that all the things are in work, working well, right? And you do that every six months, you have to, right? That's the same thing, you got to do the same thing with your workforce, you know, make sure that, uh, that, you know, you check the oil, you make sure that you check that your employees are actually, um, um, sat satisfied. Well, yeah, the, yeah, I was gonna say satisfied, engaged, but both, you know. Um, and if you don't take care of your car, you know what's gonna happen, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe this kind of reminds me of uh, I have a bunch of plants outside in my, and, and and now it's really hot here in Florida, so I might not go outside and might not check on my plants, even though I'm thinking, oh, they're getting water, they're getting sunlight, and I'm just not. And there might be that one plant is just getting like half water and there it is. I, I'm not engaging with my plants. And it's use that. Use that. You got that one plant that actually needs more water than the others and you're not paying attention to it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not giving me back what I'm investing in it. Um and you know, to kind of tie everything together, and I think this, it might sound redundant or maybe uh, obvious, but understanding the differences between diversity, equity, and inclusion, and understanding the workforce and the work that you do to understand your workforce from surveys. So kind of bringing everything back, how does all this survey work and all this employee engagement, employee satisfaction, how do you tie back to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and just like the core definitions it's all about belonging. I, I just, um, man, we can talk for another hour about this. Um, how do you tie, how do you tie back the survey to diversity, equity, and inclusion? It, it really is just a roadmap for you to actually see how you're doing. Um, and, and particularly on the inclusion part, because diversity, you can see it, you know, any organization can see their diversity and their workforce numbers. You don't need a survey to tell you where you are right? You can see your diversity. But uh, a survey can reveal to you diversity of other things that are less obvious, right? Like your sex, your gender, your, your, your uh, ethnicity, and all those things. When we're talking about socioeconomic status, you know, when you're talking about languages, when you're talking about all of these other things, that's really important. And it really, it, I think a survey can really illustrate to you all of the gaps and then all of the wins as well that you're doing as a company. Um, one of the things that, that we come to find out at an organization that I work with when we did an assessment survey this past year um, is that the organization is actually doing really, really well in a lot of things. But you know what it's not doing so well in? Fairness. When we're talking about equity, right? Fairness. Employees perceiving that they're, that they're being treated fairly, Right. Um, and that, I mean, having that knowledge can really, again, and I don't want to seem repetitive, like it can, can push you your path forward. And some of that fairness, uh, is indicative of people who are of a specific group that they fairness for that specific group of people is defined differently because they're only, you know, 2% of the workforce, right? Um, that's different. 
versus fairness for another group of people that is, you know, 25% of the workforce, fairness for them looks a little bit different, right? Um, so again, it can't, surveys are very complicated, but it can illustrate so many different things for you. It really just brings into the forefront about whether the entire enterprise of diversity, equity, and inclusion is actually functioning It's well. your barometers, like how you actually, the work that you're doing, is it actually doing anything? I love that. Yeah, it's your, absolutely. It's your barometer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, something that I always thought it was interesting when we first um, started working with diversity, equity, and inclusion, at least in GPA, that we surveyed our members um, some of these survey results were a little bit all over the place in which it's, it definitely seemed like it was more perception than actual results. I think um, one survey question asked whether after a certain number of years, if they actually saw a difference in, you know, an improvement in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and people will say yes, but yet the survey results, the actual note, nuts and bolts of the data did not really show that it was a huge increase or that it actually has been changing too much. So it, it seemed like there was a lot of perception and, and it seemed like there wasn't a clear consensus on whether there was improvement. And there there wasn't also clear consensus on whose responsibility it was to actually bring over diversity, equity, and inclusion when they asked whether it's the leader or the culture, there wasn't a clear consensus that it actually has to be the leader or just you know, everyday office culture. You know, one of the things that that that, that I learned from uh, it's a organizational psychologist. We were looking at a survey, and there was a high percentage of neutrals, meaning people who didn't feel any way. You know, neither yes or no, or good or bad. It was just right down the middle. It was like a really high percentage of neutrality and specific things. And I asked him, so, so what is that? And he's like, more often than not, is communi- that's communication. It's a lack of communication. So employees are telling you, um, I don't know. It's not a yes or a no, because I just don't know. I don't know if, you know, we've been proven diversity, equity, and inclusion. I don't even know what that means, you know, or, um, and so it's all about communication. And if you're just starting in this field, it's going to take a while for employees to kind of understand, uh, understand this. But I just wanted to share the little tip that, 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 that uh, he, he shared with me. I thought it was like, yeah, no, I've never thought of that either. Out, you know? Yeah. So when you see a lot of neutrals, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You just don't, you can't subscribe to a yes or a no, because I just don't know. Okay. And some people just don't care, but Usually it's uh, the other way. Yeah, I mean, it can be both. It can be also a non-engaged employee who just also, you know, doesn't care or doesn't know maybe that the company actually does care for his or hers advancement. And about your point about where does diversity, equity, and inclusion come from, whether it's the leader or the culture, it's all of it. It's everyone. Everyone. I created this, um, uh, me and one of my former boss, we both created this campaign called Inclusion is on Us. And that means all of us, right? Um, whether you are the CEO or, you know, the, the, I don't know, the intern, it's on all of you, all of us, actually, all of us, um, to, to engage in this. Um, diversity, equity. And- I also want to make sure that the CEO, the people at the top are actually committed to it, but make sure that everybody else is responsible for really. I mean, leaders are order. the leaders are lead the leads, right? They're the ones that have to put the communication out there. They're the ones that have to support. They're the ones that have to, you know, be the champions of these efforts. Absolutely. Um, but then it's up to everybody else to actually engage in that too. It's like the follow-up, but like everybody needs to also come in. I guess my last question for you and, you know, kind of an open-ended question, do you ever see a world or a space where we don't need to be having these types of conversations where diversity, equity, and inclusion is no longer a thing? Or you think that we're always going to have these conversations? That is so funny because I was just having a conversation last week about this, about what is the point of 
not, not the point, but you know, the way I see it, I have a job so that I don't have a job. You know what I mean? My work, my work is supposed to be temporary, right? It's a work that I'm doing until we reach full equality, equity, diversity, whatever you want to call it, DEIA, et cetera, et cetera. My job is to not have a job, right? That is the point. However, however, history teaches us otherwise. And whatever fights we're having now, they're going to evolve 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years to a different version of it. So it will continue evolving. We will continue to strive for a more diverse, equal, equitable, uh, inclusive, accessible workplace. It'll just evolve into something different. Um, but I think it's a it's a good thing that it evolves at all and that it doesn't stop, right? Yeah. Well, we're, I guess we have to continue to understand our workforce and understand, you know, where everybody's at and move on and, and, and kind of see how those things that are evolving and changing can actually help our employees be more engaged. I was going to say more satisfied, but more engaged. Uh, but I I absolutely love that, you know, engagement ring versus satisfaction ring. I think that that's so clever. So whoever told you that, that, that is super clever. Kudos to whoever came up with it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I think we learned a lot about how um, other industries outside of our own industry kind of tackle the, this issue that is not only in engineering, that all throughout STEM, there's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and maybe all throughout other industries as well. Um, so I really appreciate your time and I appreciate everything you're doing. You're doing very, very important work for everybody. Thank you so much. And uh, um, I needed this conversation. So thank you, Veronica, for having me. Uh, and thank you to the listeners and, and your colleagues who are um, part of this conversation. Um, it's really, really important that you remain committed. And I'm here to support you. you know? Thank you. Thank you so much. And that concludes this episode of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast series brought to you by the GBA podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the GBA podcast and leave us a review. And remember, improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in the geo profession is up to all of us. Thank you for listening.